Well, welcome back. It's been a while. Yeah, over a month, right? Yeah. Uh, we went through a stretch where we had music guests lined up every day, and I think uh, that took a toll on us. On you, mostly, but uh, we needed the break. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was fun doing the interviews. The interviews themselves didn't take a toll, but it was... Uh, it was work to get them all set up and, and and edited and all that. But I did talk to a lot of people at last month's Carolina Indie Fest who said they appreciated the interviews and the songs and the playlist we made. And that helped them determine, you know, who they wanted to see at the at the music festival. So that, that was cool to hear. Yeah, and we haven't talked since the actual event that we spent the last few months promoting and really the last year whenever we found out about it we've been helping promote this thing for the last year and uh we haven't talked about it since then and i want to go on record as a saying um i had a really good time yes yeah <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a two-day event and unfortunately i was not able to attend the second day but i did attend the first day and i was a little worried at first because it, it was a it was pretty hot that day and i think um Early in the day, the crowd was sparse in places, and um, but there hit a stretch that first day between, uh, you know, about 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., I think, where uh, it was a good crowd. And not only that, more importantly, um, it was a really good atmosphere. And I know when the Accidentals played and when um, Nitro Nitro played and... Uh, um, I think the accidentals was about peak crowd. It seemed that think, way to me too. Yeah. And peak excitement. Cause they, they, they put on a great show. I mean, uh, they were one of the interviews that, that um, you did leading up to it. And um, they were a really talented group, but then, uh, you know, they broke out several different instruments throughout the, their set and, you know, standing violin and, or no standing bass and then a violin at one point and it was uh it was really good they they broke out a few surprising covers they had a Fleetwood Mac or is that a Stevie Nicks song I don't know um, they had, Mac. yeah they had a Fleetwood Mac cover and then they they um broke out with a little bit of uh um, Rush cover. Rush Tom Sawyer yeah, yeah it was uh and it was good it was really good I I I think they were my favorite performance of, of the afternoon, but Nitro Nitro was a very close second and uh, everybody I saw, um, I, I enjoyed it. Just really enjoyed it. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's awesome that they're going to do it again. Um, there was obviously some discussion about, well, what can we do better next time? But that's going to be any first year event. And I think that they, the organizers and the promoters and the downtown Sanford people and the Sanford TDA people all, took a lot of notes on how they could, you know, use this as a blueprint for something that's just going to get bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. I had, a, I had a few, um, you know, just looking around, like maybe this could be done differently. This could be done, but they were all very minor. I think um, maybe just uh, not spreading it out so much, but right. Um, yeah. But you can't complain. And uh, I, I thought it was great. And, you know, leading up to it, I had written that column about, Sanford's inability to uh to show up for events and um and you know got a little bit of 
uh, draw back from that because uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, understandably. But uh, you know, I thought the crowd was great, and um, and yeah, pick yeah. a lane and stay in it, Billy. Yeah, you said day two was was a uh, was pretty um, pretty good, also, and it was also hot that day, and it was a Sunday, and um, was very glad to hear it. I enjoyed day two. Um, I will say though that probably in the future. I'm going to arrange to take the the Monday off after these things because I was exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted. Yeah, no, I was too. Um, I hadn't been to a live show in a while and I had, uh, I had ear ringing for about three or four days that followed. Yeah. I forgot my earplugs. So but anyways, um, yeah. So way to go Indie Fest. And the, the next one is, uh, the wampus cat is that what it's called yeah and that's going to be in may i'm it's on my list to put a story on our website about that but that will be at uh, gross farms gross farms two which is actually over the just over the harnett county line outside broadway but that's going to be a two or three day festival with even more bands um some of whom have been announced um that will be i believe the second weekend in may um, but we'll have all the details on our website and in, I'd like to do the same thing that we did for Indie Fest, which is to put this event on our cover, spend six or eight weeks leading up to it, interviewing some of the artists and, um, and just promoting it. This won't be in Lee County, but it's about as, I think you can throw a rock from it and hit Lee County. So it's, uh, yeah, right now they've, uh, they've announced the lead singer from, 90s uh alternative group dishwalla which uh i'm sure that you know for people our age that name might sound familiar but they had the the hit counting blue cars is that i think so yeah so yeah yeah i'm i'm all for it (laughs) and uh local favorites the cliff wheeler band um who was the first artist we interviewed ahead of indie fest but they've been announced too and um i i didn't know cliff prior to our interview with him but after doing that interview i, I ran into him at hugger mugger and introduced myself and i i think you referenced this on a previous podcast back in october of 2020 we did a music edition about you know all the musicians who have come out of sanford to have careers and we just neither of us knew cliff and um I, I told him that that was a regret that I had that we didn't include him because we didn't know him, but he, he just laughed, but um, he's a good guy and he gave a, a great performance at Indie Fest. So um, I think he'll give another one at Wampus Cat. Yeah. And I think we're, we are definitely guilty of this. Um, you, you get excited about the outside bands that are coming in and you hear about local bands and, and maybe you're, you know, you're dismissive of it because <laughs> they're local and and you're excited about the new that's coming in. But uh, but you're absolutely right about Cliff. Um, when after we interviewed him and listened to his stuff, he's he's talented. He's super talented and uh, was a really good guy and very down to earth. And um, uh, 
I encourage people to to if you haven't discovered him to discover him if uh even if um that the music's not your thing good songwriting is good songwriting so yeah and his live performance also was um pretty explosive was it yeah yeah a lot of a uh, lot of rock energy a lot of breaking chairs over audience members heads and... right he did the thing that the guy from that band jackal did where he carved his name in the ceiling of the stage with a chainsaw i'm kidding he did not do that <laughs> uh, i go back to the uh the time we had the fake um uh, vince gill on our radio show when we were talking about uh john owens <laughs> his trip there and uh and just how the 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 humor in the sketch was how progressively crazy John got and and uh and trashing the stage and everything. And uh anytime we talk about that, I always think back to that. So. So we don't have a guest on this week, but uh, there is a lot going on in Stanford, and um, I don't know if uh, you had anything top of mind, but this last edition was uh, kind of a, a nod to Sanford's growing, well, I wouldn't say growing, it, it's always been pretty strong, but the the soccer program here in Sanford, which is uh, kind of led, there's really two organizations here that, that run soccer, and that's uh, Sanford Area Soccer League, and then the um, also kind of a branch of that is Sanford Area Soccer League's uh, Youth Academy. And I got to know some of the people in Youth Academy because uh, my boys play and um, the people that run that also run Sanford's semi-professional soccer team, which is San Lee FC. And it was just really interesting to learn that, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are um, full-time have full-time jobs and then in the evenings they play semi-professional soccer and they're in this league that is nationwide about 300 teams in this league and it's you know split up into regions and so Sanford's team travels to Columbia South Carolina and uh, Charlotte North Carolina and Raleigh and uh, some of these bigger cities and they play against um, you know bigger teams and then uh, I guess one of the points of the story we're trying to make is, you know, they play in, in these nice facilities. And then when these teams come to Sanford, they're playing at uh, Grace Christian School because we do not have a facility to house them. And I guess that all goes back to having the athletic complex that is coming. But uh, but I don't know. It was, there were a few very interesting angles here, but perhaps the most interesting angle is the coach and his father, uh, kind of run the team and the the father um was an ecuadorian national player and he coached the ecuadorian national team they never made it to the world cup but they made it to the u.s qualify or the the you know the the qualifying rounds for the for the world cup and so it's a pretty big deal he's uh you know if you had to pick somebody in sanford that has the most soccer skins on the wall it would definitely be this guy and uh it's also really interesting that in his prior life before coming to the u.s he was a uh, a television um you know like talking head <laughs> uh for for soccer in south america it's like their version of espn he was their go-to soccer guy down there i i really enjoyed reading that story i had no involvement in it you handled that one top to bottom but i was reading it when 
you put it on the page and we were editing and I just, I thought it was a great story. And the thing that kept a couple takeaways for me, one was I'm consistently amazed as we've done this rant project by the number of fascinating people who are in this little town now. Yeah. And um, not that there weren't fascinating people here before, but that there's been a lot of growth lately and there's just all kinds of stuff that that's, that's hiding in plain sight that really blows your mind. And second, you mentioned it is the sports complex. When that is complete, I assume that's where the, the plan is for them to play there. Well, even that's in question. This was the only organization um, that that donated money in addition to time to promoting it um, before it went to the vote. And uh, and since it's passed, you know, the the county has really dragged its feet on really getting this thing started. I mean, they've just now. I think signed off on the land for it. And I don't even know if we're anywhere near bids or anything that like that. So it could be still a couple of years away before any of that comes to fruition. Sure. But even when, when that happens, um, you know, they've got to make money and they've got to charge teams that use it. And, um, and they're worried that it's they're they're going to price them out, you know, like, Ooh. These things aren't cheap, and uh, this organization uh, was funded by um, was launched out of uh, Tim Blodgett's uh, own pocket, and you know they pride themselves on allowing kids who don't have don't come from you know uh, families of of wealth. Everybody still has a chance, and they have scholarship programs for for kids who can't afford it. Um, but they don't charge that much for these kids to play. And, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of worry that they still wouldn't be able to afford playing on a, (laughs) at a, at a complex that's built for just this. So well, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe that's a story down the line. I would say you, you never can put it past politicians to, (laughs) to manage to get it wrong sometimes, but I think that would be a a huge disservice if, especially when it comes to the youth, um, that that seems to be the 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 primary purpose of the sports complex. But what I what I was thinking more specifically about was this semi pro team. Um, back this summer, I enjoyed getting to see the Sanford Spinners play baseball at the the park at Southern Lee, but I enjoyed it more knowing that within a couple of years, they could be at sort of a stadium facility. And um, I, I enjoyed going to see them and I don't know as much about soccer, but um, maybe a year, more than a year ago, I guess it was before the pandemic. My wife and I went up to Raleigh to the uh, North Carolina courage, the women's soccer team. And that was a blast. And, you know, if we had that, if we could go see the semi-pro team, on a weeknight or a weekend, whatever, that's just another, you know, another draw, another quality of life thing that, that would make living in Sanford more enjoyable. Yeah. Soccer fans are nuts too. They, uh, they really get into it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like a whole thing over in Europe, like hooliganism. And I wonder if we'd have Sanford soccer hooligans. Of course. Of course. I know, uh, again, uh, no 
guests this week, but there was one thing I wanted to bring up to you, and that was, uh, uh, again, during our podcast hiatus, there was a movie that came out that had a lot of uh, intrigue from from people like you, and that was The the Many Saints of Newark, which is a, um, a prequel of sorts to The Sopranos, which um, if you follow Gordon Anderson on any social media platform, you will you will learn very quickly that he is a Sopranos aficionado and it's probably seen the series, what, three or four times straight through? Uh, more than that. Yeah. Um, before I knew this movie was coming out, I, I gave in. I had never seen The Sopranos and I, I gave in earlier this year and, um, and you took ne- me a couple months to go through it. You'd never seen it. I'd never seen it. You told no. me that and I went, oh, and I didn't understand why you why you <laughs> responded like that until a few episodes in. Um, my so the reason I bring it up, the movie um, got mixed reviews. It got mostly positive reviews, but the mixed reviews actually came mostly from Sopranos fans who wanted a movie that was more like the show, which I don't think you can do that in a two hour movie. But the show is a slow burn. It is. And it is not really about the mob. The mob is a secondary character to um, James Gandolfini's character who is juggling being a mobster, head of a, head of the, the family, head of the five families, and juggling that and being a father. He's not the and head of the five families. He's, what? Okay, see, there's five families in New York and then this pygmy thing over in New Jersey. And he's, he's the head of that. Okay, gotcha. Um, and it takes three through three run-throughs of the show to get that. After one run-through, that's the way I came <laughs> came out of it. Um, but you know, it's mostly about him. It's mostly about you know him going to therapy and him you know uh, wanting to be a better person and then coming nowhere near being a better person. So. Yeah, well, it's about the the, the <laughs> struggling with the regularness of life, as they put it. And um, all the characters deal with that or all, all the primary characters deal with that. And yeah, the mob stuff gives it action and, and all that, but yeah, it, it's about, you know, it's just about dealing with life and dealing with family and wondering, uh, you know, what it's all about. And there's just so much you can pick up from it, which is why I've, I, I keep going back to it. The movie focuses on a character that is only mentioned by name in the series, and that's um, that's uh, uh, Tony Soprano's hero, his uncle, Dickie Maltzante. And uh, in the series, he always looks back at that time as what the mob should be. You know, it was classier. It was um, the... The, the family was stronger everything was more structured and you learn in the movie that really it really wasn't that way either and even even Dickie wanted to be a better person and ultimately failed but um uh I thought the movie was good I, I thought it was really good and I thought now again it was more like a Goodfellas type movie than it was the series but I thought it was really well done I will say that if you go into it and you didn't know anything really about the series then it doesn't make any sense and it wasn't you know the story maybe wasn't as strong but i just thought it was all really well done and i was curious about your thoughts on it 
because you you do fall into the sopranos snobbery <laughs> and uh but but i, I think pref- you said i prefer you- a super fan super fan but you liked it though i loved it um i think the majority of the complaints i don't know people were expecting a, a two-hour episode and i mean it's set 30 years before the series so i think it's going to be impossible to capture the same feeling just because it's a different it's a different world um but i loved it i've watched it four times um Damn. the first time i watched it i was just kind of so swept up in all of the presentation of it and and you know recognizing who people were and picking up nods to the series that I paid less attention to the plot um but successive watches uh you know you you said the plot isn't as strong I I don't know if I agree but I, I think that it is less of a standalone movie than they than they had hoped for it, it connects to the series in so, so many ways, though. And you mentioned that in the series, Tony longs for the the time when he was a kid where he thought the mob was a classier thing. And I think you're right. It's revealed that these guys have this image, but they're just a bunch of they're they're crooks, they're thugs, they're murderers. Right. And some of the uh you know the legends and the myths you know don't hold up to scrutiny and i i think that's intentional um I mean, it's it i mean it has to be intentional um and it's it's kind of one of the themes of the show which is you know these these guys make you laugh and it's funny and oh and all, you know all the hop along cassadich and all that stuff but <laughs> they're they're monsters you know <laughs> It's uh, it's. I mean, they it it did a great job of of one of the same things I thought the show did, which is, you know, making you like these monsters and and root for them, and then sit there and go, God, I'm just these guys are awful. I learned what a guma is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no idea that was a thing. <laughs> I mean, it was a thing, but just like an accepted thing, which was uh, yeah, but. Another piece of pop culture that um, I just finished and um, restarted so my wife could start watching it with me. And uh, don't know if you've gotten through it yet, but have you have you given in and um, accepted that there's a thing called the Squid Games out there? I haven't watched it yet. I've I, I've heard of it and I know it's a big thing. I know it's, um, it's from South Korea. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of sort of comparable to maybe like Hunger Games. A little bit of Hunger Games, a little bit of Lost, um, Black Mirror. Uh, yeah. Combine those three, I think. Um, I don't usually jump onto shows that everybody's watching because I don't want to just do it because everybody's doing it. I want to do it because it's something I'm interested in, but yeah, I would have, I would have had no interest in this otherwise. And everybody was talking about it. So I did decide to give it a shot. And um, the first episode, actually the first two episodes are you're, you're sitting there wondering um, what's the big deal because 
they take their time to explain these characters and explain their motivations. And, um, but there's a, there's a point in the first episode and this isn't spoiling anything because by now, you know, the basic gist of it, but the, the basic gist of it is there's 450 um, men and women in South Korea who are rounded up and given a shot to play um, children's games for a lot of money, uh, millions and millions of dollars. And uh, the reason these people are chosen is because they're all seriously in debt and they all have terrible lives and they owe a lot of money. And some of them are being chased by creditors or by, you know, um, betting thugs and, and whatever. And, um, and so they're all brought to this place. And uh, there's a moment in that first episode where um, while they're playing this first game where it just all goes insane, absolutely insane. And that's what hooks you in. It, it, you, <laughs> it's incredibly violent. It's incredibly cartoonish, but um, the fact that you, get to know these characters and then all hell breaks loose. It's just, it's really well done. And then I would say after episode two, which kind of after the shocking incidents of episode one, episode two takes a breather and explains more why this happened. And then from three episode three on until the very last minute, it's just, it's insane. It's a show that makes you um, nervous. It's a show that, uh, um you know what's going to happen yet it's still shocking when it does and it's just really well done and it's so well done that um you know i i'm watching it again just uh so i could go through it with my wife who because i i blew through it in like three days and uh um and she really wasn't into it and she said fine you know she kind of gave in like me everybody's talking about it fine i'll give in and uh, she fell asleep two or three times over the first few episodes <laughs> it's, it's i mean we were watching it late at night but um but when it hits it hits well and so i recommend it a couple of questions it. uh how many episodes are there uh eight or nine so um seven. maybe maybe seven i don't know is this seven, seven eight or nine is it a show where there will be another season or is it designed to be a you know sort of like a, a season-long movie that stands on its uh, own you know again without revealing anything they end it in a way that you could think all right i could see season two coming um season any uh, i think the joy of this show is the sheer surprise of it the shockingness of it and i think any other seasons would lose that because you know what you're getting into. They would have to really up the game somehow, like put children in it or something. <laughs> make it yeah, even more, it. make it even more unacceptable for polite society. Right. Well, and that's, you know, that's a thing um, in South Korea. This really resonates, I think, because their economy is, is not doing so well right now. And there's probably a lot more people that, relate to these money problems um but it, it it's relatable in the united states too i don't think people in the u.s would go through this these extremes to get out of debt but um but it's definitely relatable here and i think that's why it's such a global phenomenon is because you know the economy sucks in a lot of places right now and it's uh um, one of the things, if you do watch it, though, that you're going to have to get past is is 
the really weird currency um, differences between U.S. currency and South Korean currency. In South Korea, their money is called won, which I think is spelled like W-A-N or W-O-N. And so every time they say four billion won, for a few um, for a few episodes at the beginning, I'm thinking, why is everything N1? You know, like a million and one dollars, but no, they're saying a million won. And uh, and that's the other thing is like four billion four billion won only translates to like four hundred thousand dollars, right? So, or or maybe four million, but it's like you know a you, you there you spend 10,000 won for a 10 dollar meal yeah so. yeah that's this, isn't it like that in japan as well with like this delicious piece of sushi is a bargain at only 10,000 yen yeah you know? or maybe pesos are the same way too i don't know but um I, I feel like pesos more closely track the dollar i could be wrong too but but yeah so once you get past you know the the currency discrepancies there then then you can enjoy it more but yeah i recommend it and and that's pop culture talk with the rant <laughs> I did want to talk about one last thing, um, a story that I've, I've been tracking and our government reporter, Richard Solons, has done a good job of, of following closely. But last night, the Lee County Board of Commissioners gave approval to a final redistricting plan for their electoral districts. And there, uh, a lot of people don't find this issue sexy, but I think that as, as we editorialized, there's a uh, there's little in politics that's more important than processes like these and paying attention to them because they dictate what races you're going to be able to vote in and what candidates you're going to be able to vote for. Um, and they went through seven redistricting plans and uh, ended up having a public hearing on two of them. And then later, later they presented another plan that the public had not been able to comment on. And that's the one that ended up passing. Um, I believe we'll have a story on that later today or maybe tomorrow morning. But um, this this stuff bears scrutiny. And I, I just... When you allow partisan groups to draw up their own districts, this, and when, when these... Um, processes go unmonitored or unscrutinized, then basically what they can do is if you have a majority, you can draw your just you can draw your voting districts up to ensure that you always have the majority. Like you can throw the if you're say Republican Democrat, if you're a Repub Republican majority, you can draw your districts up to throw a Democratic bone to two or three districts, but to ensure that you're well within the 60 40 70 30 voting range in these other districts and um and it's extremely easy to do and these districts become ridiculously complicated like they'll go down a street you know and then and then branch off to another street whereas maybe two streets down that stays in the other district because they tend to vote more the other way. And um, 
it's i mean i know everybody knows what gerrymandering is but what um it, what what they're doing here in lee county is is troubling troubling i think and i think uh um you should always bring in outside nonpartisan firms to do stuff like this and or you should just draw a make it a four district county draw four squares over the county and say those are your districts well i you know i don't know if we can say that that this is a gerrymander yeah or a partisan gerrymander we don't know um and these I'm saying were, it could no no i'm not saying yeah. this is this could be it could very easily be i mean I think it's that, easy to do that the 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 proposals were all drawn by staff but we know that um there were attempts to draw them using data about you know, voter registration and, and partisanship. And um, we know that staff, the county staff said, well, that's, this is really a bad idea because that's illegal and we could open ourselves up to a lawsuit. But these attempts were there. And this final map that I understand passed took something like 600 voters out of Chairman Kirk Smith's district, Kirk being uh, a Republican, and place them into Commissioner Robert Reeves district, who is a Democrat. Um, I haven't looked at the data, but that seems like, you know, in these these county races, 600 votes could be a lot. And if most of them are Republican votes, that could be seen as an attempt to get rid of uh, the, the, the Democrat that represents the county's one minority majority district or majority minority district, which where most of the voters are are minorities. I will say, though, that if that's the hope, and I can't document that it is, but if that's the hope, it seems like it could backfire because Kirk Smith is a commissioner who won his last race by something like 50 votes. So so getting rid of, or, you know, moving 600 of your reliable voters into another district seems like it could cause something to change. I will, we'll see next year when, when the races are run, but yeah. Um, well, and that's, I guess that's another reason it makes sense to have at large positions in a County too. Right. Um, and there are, th- wonder, yeah. there are three in three at large commissioners in Lee County and four who come from districts. Um, I was reading something about the way they do it in Wake County. And I think this might be the case in Chatham County as well. And I think it's the case in Brunswick County down at the beach, but they, the commissioners are all at large and they're all voted on by everyone in the county, but they represent districts. So that seems like it could be an an interesting way to do things. So right now, each of us, we vote in for a commissioner in a district, and then we we vote for the three at large members, but there are three district commissioners that we have no say in and in a place like Wake County, everybody has a say on every candidate. It's just that they're required to come from these districts so that they, you know, can, can, in addition to representing everybody in the County, the board has geographical diversity. And I don't know if that will ever be allowed to happen here, but it's an interesting concept. Yeah. Well, Richard's doing a great job following all that stuff. So he is kudos to him. Yeah. And uh, which offers another reminder that uh, we have for the last two editions included a 
Spanish language version of the rant online. And uh, um, I encourage people to, <laughs> to check that out. Um, if you speak Spanish, probably, preferably, um, you would get a lot out of it. But, or if you don't, you could um, do what I do and use this as a way to start learning some Spanish because <laughs> in, in simply putting this together every these last few months, I think I've learned more Spanish than I ever did in my two or three years of high school French when learning French then because, you know, this is real world use usage of it. And, uh, um, and when I go through and I have to change headlines, uh, sometimes I have to rewrite the headline a little bit and I have to make sure that the Spanish still translates well. And uh, yeah, learning a lot. Also learning that Spanish uses about 37 more words per sentence than English does. <laughs> I think a lot of languages do. Um, we, we do need to do a better job of, of getting the word out about the Spanish language edition, but we are working on that, we promise. And um, that is oh, yeah. available if if you're listening and you need to tell somebody where to find it. They're they're published at um, issue.com. That's i s s u u dot com slash rant n c and espanol. Yeah. And our translator is Kira Rodriguez, who is also doing an amazing job. All right. Well, I think uh, we've done a pretty good job of wasting everybody's time this week and we're going to get back into this regularly we're going to have more friends of the rant on the rant and uh looking forward to it excellent i think yeah <laughs> all right well uh until next time sanford stay uh you know. see ya